It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into another edition of the Skinny Podcast. It's the Potpourri edition presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor, along with Rick Broering as we kick around. We usually kick around some national topics to go along with local topics, but we got a lot of local topics to get to, and we have a special guest at the end of this podcast to share his own personal ghost story. Not ghost sex story, although it could devolve into that for all I know, but his own personal ghost story. So we're looking forward to that very, very much. We'll reveal that that special guest coming up in, in just a bit. But we start, Rick, with... Biggest news maybe we've had since we started doing this podcast, Skinny. Locally, the Cincinnati Reds sent Homer Bailey, Jeter Downs, and Josiah Gray to the Los Angeles Dodgers last week. In exchange, the Reds received slugger Yasiel Puig, left-handed starter Alex Wood, and veteran outfielder Matt Kemp, plus utility infielder Kyle Farmer and about $7 million. Do you think this is enough to make the Reds a serious contender in the National League Central? I don't. But I do like it. It makes them way more interesting. I mean, it makes them a, a ton more interesting because it makes them more competitive. I mean, they, they, they've bettered themselves. Uh, you know, Puig and Kemp, uh, to go along with Shebler and Winker, gives you kind of that four outfielder for three spot thing, which didn't work last year, was never going to work because Billy Hamilton was always going to be in that mix in some, some way, shape, or form. In this regard, you got a lot more flexibility, I think, to mix and match. I mean, you had a lot of one-dimensional. Adam Duvall, Duvall was a one-dimensional power-hitting right-handed outfielder who was starting to slide right or wrong. Okay, You could hide him in the, in the lineup if things are going great, all those things. This gives you a chance to do a lot of things in your lineup. And I think those two guys, Kemp, albeit he's 33 going on 34, the one thing is if you look at his last year, he actually improved from the year before that, which sometimes guys don't do at that age. So that gives me a little hope that, okay, he's kind of leveled off of what his career averages are, which is about an 820 OPS, and, and that's not – him hitting in this ballpark all the time. That's him hitting in, in L.A. a bunch. Um, Puig the same way. I mean, you look at Puig, it feels like he he, he hit the ground running right and was never going to make an out. Remember when the, he first came up, he was like, the, well, he's kind of leveled off into being, you know, kind of a 270-ish hitter. But again, you look at some of his power and double numbers. He turned some of those doubles into home runs in that ballpark. You suddenly may have added two 30-home-run right-handed power bats that all of a sudden, you want to throw a lefty against the Reds? That's fine. We'll sit Winker down for a day. Um, you know, Votto can hit both lefties and righties. We'll put our two right-handed power bats in around Joey Votto. It just makes the, it makes them way, way more interesting. And you've added a legitimate arm. I mean, Alex Wood, is a, he's a legitimate arm. He, he doesn't He's not a 34-start per season, 200-inning guy. But he's a capable, a more than capable star. When he's healthy and gets the ball, I think he keeps you in an awful lot of games. He averages about a strikeout an inning, which I like. Um, no, I think it makes them more interesting. But man, it feels like the Cardinals are the ones that have gone all in to, to match what the Cubs already had. And the Brewers, and the Brewers are, are the defending champs, champions right. division with right. a really right. good young team. Right. That's the only issue that I see with this trade is that you make it. I still don't know that you're better than fourth in your own division. Maybe, but if things fall right, and I think that's what you're kind of hoping on here. I think the other part, though, you needed... Here's the thing. You needed to make yourself more interesting without without allocating a ton of future dollars. That would have bothered me if you took on a huge Kemp contract and a huge Puig contract and a huge Wood contract for years to come. Now, if they have good years and you have a good year and you feel like you know, Puig's a future building block at age 27 and Wood's a future your number one guy and you can afford it, okay, then maybe you figure out a way to cut deals. If things don't go well at the trade deadline because they're basically on the final year of contracts, okay, maybe you deal them for future pieces back because you gave up a pretty good future piece maybe in Jeter Downs. Yep. That, that part kind of you, – you, but but the thing is, when you're doing these deals, you ain't doing them for free. I mean, you've got to give up something. You, you, you jettisoned all that Homer Bailey money, got money in return. You're going to have to give up something, and it sucks you got to give up Jeter Downs, but I'm a big guy that prospects are suspects until they become – Big, big time players. So yes, but in a way, and I mean, what we've been talking about for a while now is that the Reds are building for the future, and they really shouldn't be doing anything with win right now in mind because it should all be about building for the future. Yeah, go ahead. I'll let you finish your point. And in in doing, I'm going to agree. This trade, a second, you give up two guys who were certainly prospects. Now, how was Josiah Gray ever going to develop into anything? Who knows? I mean, he was like. 13th or 15th, right. I think, out of their top Cheater Downs prospect. had a really nice Cheater year Downs, for a young guy. Yeah, and he was like, what, 7th, I think, yeah. in the Reds franchise. So certainly a guy they thought had some upside. Now, I will say, he's at a position they have a lot of depth. Yeah. Middle infielders, they've got a lot of those guys already in the system. They've got some guys up at the Major League team that they're right. not even sure where to go with them right now. So from that perspective, I understand why you're looking to get rid of him. But then when you look at these guys, like Puig, Wood, Kemp, could all be gone after next year. Mm -hmm. 
And you basically, it's almost like you're going all in on this year with no real chance to even win your own division. Yeah, and, and that's fair to say. I, I think, though, maybe this is kind of an Oakland athletic philosophy of try to find what you can find each year to plug your holes. It's like a year-to-year deal. If that's your new philosophy and you and that's how you're... I'm maybe not opposed to doing that. As long as you're not allocating big-time money for it, I'm not totally opposed to doing it. Because, look, what you've done, you've not been very good at drafting and developing. And maybe you're still another three to five years of continual draft and development. And until you stockpile all of that, maybe this is how you do it. Is Every year you have to piecemeal it with teams looking to get rid of some contracts and look and say, all right, these guys give us some value. In this ballpark, they give us some value. Let's go ahead and take it on and do it. I, but, I think they needed to be interesting, though, Rick. That's the only thing I, I would... I'm with you. I, I I get what you're saying, and I was I was 100 behind that two or three weeks ago because I thought this trade when it was talked about was not going to happen. But once it happened, I thought, all right, again, you're not allocating a lot of future dollars here. You're 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 looking to go semi all in this year. But I think you're at a stage where you need to make yourself interesting some way, shape, or form, and you've done that. I get that, but not at the expense of abandoning. Like you're saying, but look, you gave up one. You gave up one. If you can't survive giving up a prospect. And he's not Nick Senzel. He's I'm, not Major League ready yet. I'm not saying they can't survive it. I'm just interested in what is the plan now. Because you just said... That's fair. You, I, you, and, I, and I don't know if they know that. I don't think they do. And and like you just said, you just said, well, I, you know, they're not very good at drafting and developing. Well, that may be the case. But regardless, the whole point of the last three plus years was to draft and develop guys and yes. start building for the future. So to just abandon that plan now is but, not a good one. I'm but, not saying they are. But see, I'm not I saying say, they are. I think, I think I'd agree if they, that they're abandoning that plan if suddenly it was the guys that are almost Major League ready, like Senzel, like uh, Taylor Trammell, who's probably still a one more year away. And that's where you look at this, you're like, all right, Taylor Trammell, we don't have to force him. We'll see what he does now in AAA this year, and these guys are going to be gone. If, if you got your Major League ready guys that you're not dealing, I'm good with it. And if it, all it's going to cost you is, yeah, it's a top level prospect, but he's at a at a, at a high or rather a high caliber prospect who's not at an upper level and, and a guy that you're looking and going, hey, in a year or two, Jeter Downs, guys, we got to have him in our lineup. He probably wasn't at that stage. I, I'm I'm not against this. I just think you needed to make, especially when you look around this division. As we mentioned, the Cardinals, man, they have made a bunch of moves, and the Brewers are the defending champs, and the Cubs have have a world of talent, or at least enough talent to continually compete. You gotta do something to make yourself interesting, boy. See, I look at that almost the other way. As like those teams are so good right now, and you knew it, your plan. We've been saying all every podcast we've done where we talked about Reds, we said they're not ready to compete yet. They're still a year, two, three away. So the plan should still be looking for it. I'm not saying this was a bad deal at all. I think it was a good deal, it honestly. They deal. got really out from do. under the Bailey contract. Yes. They got some exciting guys. I think Puig is they don't, a, Again, the key, they don't have future money allocated either to where you've just hamstrung yourself for the future either. That I, th- Those are the kind of deals that would have bothered me. If you take a guy on, he's got another four years at, at 52 mil, and you're like, God, if he craps out, what are we going to do? We're stuck with this. You're not stuck with anything here. You're really not. And you can you can use these pieces. If things, Let's just say they go the first half, and they're just they realize they're not in it. Okay, then you can use these pieces to kind of restock, and let's try this again next year. I agree. I guess my bigger question right now is, what's next? What is the plan next? Because since you've put this, fair question. put these guys together and looked like, hey, we're trying to compete right now, then it would seem like you might be trying to go out and get a big-name pitcher now, too, or something else to go with it, which means you're going to be talking about giving up guys like Senzel or Trammell. So... At that point, you are completely changing your strategy, and you are competing for right now. So I guess like that's my that's what I'm more interested about is what did this move mean for the future? Did it mean they now are going all in, or did it just mean like hey, they weren't that high on Jeter Downs maybe to begin? No, with? I think they were. Yeah, but, I, I, but well, I mean, I think they thought he had upside, but they're like, hey, we got middle infielders. He's not going. He's not going to be a big piece of our future more than likely. At least we don't see it right now in the next couple of years. He's a guy that's expendable. Let's get out from under Bailey, get him out of this franchise because fans hate him anyway. Right. And then bring in some guys that'll help us right now and at least bring some excitement. I think the Puig thing, it is he's fun, he is exciting, and this ballpark is the perfect place for him to be. And I think Kemp still has enough in the tank too to he, he's got a chance to be a thirty home run guy in that ballpark. I agree. I would definitely I mean, I was like almost to, a thirty home run guy last year. I don't I know he doesn't have a lot of value, but I'd like to see them package him with whatever else they can and maybe maybe bring in another piece, which kind of brings us to our next question. Yep. Dick Williams and the Reds' front office have been consistent in saying they're not done making moves after every deal they complete. There have been rumors recently about big names like Indians pitcher Corey Kluber and Marlins catcher JT Romuto. What position do you think the Reds most need to address, Skinny? I still think you need another starting pitcher. If you really are, are if you really think now you're closer to competing, but the problem is what you just said. I, I'm not giving up Senzel. I, if I have to go into this year without adding another piece through a trade. Of a high level guy, I'm I'm just not going to do it. I'm 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 not. If I could, 
if I can find a guy to sign at value come late January, early February, that's kicking around the marketplace that just didn't get signed, and maybe he's not a maybe he's not a Kluber, but he certainly would be. Let's just say you throw throw him in your rotation. He's a third, fourth guy, something along those lines. That, then I'm I'm all for that. I I I think that's the only other. That's, I shouldn't say the only other piece, but that is a missing piece. You still are at least a starting pitcher away for sure, but I'm not giving up a bunch to get that starting pitcher. And I know that smacks in the face of what I just said, but I'm just not. Now, I, I think the interesting part is, let's just say, let's say you feel Senzel's ready. Um, and, and I'm not one that would do it, because I thought you found great value in Scooter Jeanette, and I think Scooter Jeanette still has another three to five years as, as, a, as a fairly fairly decent power-hitting middle infielder left in him, which is a pretty good chunk of time. But maybe if that's the piece you move and it becomes a wash financially, I may I may take you up on that. Especially if you feel Senzel's ready to be maybe your everyday second baseman or whatever. However you're going to put him, you know, if you put him at third and hell move away, well, you wouldn't. You make him a second baseman. However you would do it, um, I, I might do that. But I, I I'm not I'm not sure I'm giving up a bunch to get a guy. I think I I'd wind up signing a guy and spending the money. Yeah, I mean. I kind of agree with. I, I just don't see a world. Even either one of these guys, you you're going to be giving up at least one of the two between Senzel and Trammell. And if not, I mean, if not both of them, you probably have to give up both of them to get either one of these yeah, guys. Yeah, I, I, I think for me right now, those two are the untouchable two. They really are. Yeah, and I think that's the way the Reds look at it too, and and rightfully so. I think you're better off trying to find like another Tanner Roark type yes, guy, a yes, guy who could yeah. be a third or fourth right. type guy in your rotation right. going forward, hopefully, that maybe has some upside to, to still improve on his career. I, I would say this, I and think, you don't have to give up a ton. Yes, correct. I mean, if you had that guy, then it probably kicks Malley out of the rotation, right? And then your rotation is Wood, Roark, whoever that guy is, Castillo and, and DiSclefani or Malley, whoever, however that all shakes down. Um, I, I think you I think you can win some games with that, especially with, I mean, this offense Honestly, on paper, I thought last year they had a chance to be an 800-run team in that ballpark because they weren't very far removed the year before. I mean, they scored 760, I think, the year before. Problem was they gave up whatever it was, 880 or whatever. It was just a crazy number because the bullpen and the rotation were so bad. Um, and the offense took a little step backward last year. Some of that got injury-related, you know, just some things that didn't work out. I mean, I think this offense has a chance to be an 800-run-plus offense. And that, that tells me you even make your starting pitching a modicum better. Man, oh, man, you got a chance to compete. Now, I saw Brian Snow, who actually a basketball guy, obviously college basketball athlete. He's in the Reds. He does Reds podcast, and uh, he brought up the idea of trying to go all in on JT Realmuto. Now, of course, you'd be including Tucker Barnhart in that trade, and probably one of two, if not both, of the the top prospects we we just talked about. And Tucker Barnhart has a great contract. Yeah. Um, that's why teams would be interested in him. Realmuto is probably the best catcher in the game right now. Yeah, he, and, he hit leadoff some, believe it or not, for the Marlins last year as a and, catcher, and, and he's, he's got a little bit of pop too. Right, and he's on the trading block, so it's one. He was saying he'd be more interested in adding a guy like that and then trying to flip Tucker Barnhart for more prospects down the road and kind of replenish what you what you lost. But the problem is you're not going to be able to flip anything you've added Correct. for prospects of Trammell or Senzel's level, Correct. in my opinion. Correct. I just don't see that being yeah, and worth I, it. And I think for Tucker Barnhart, he is exactly what you want in your line. I mean, he's he, you can hit him eighth now. I mean, I, honestly, he, he hit second for a chunk last year and did a pretty good job because he at least gets on base. He, I don't think you need to add some offense, even though Real Muto would be a great addition. I, I wouldn't give up a bunch to get him. I, I think for me now, I feel comfortable with my catcher because I know what I've got defensively. He's two years removed from a gold glove and, and still plays a very high level defensively. Um, you're going to bat him eighth or whatever it is, and he's going to get on base at a 340 clip ahead of the pitcher. Great. And he's on the type of contract you need Correct. right now. And the rest of my lineup is has got a chance to do the things that they do. I, I can hide that guy. And I'm really even talking not talking about hiding a 216 hitter. You're talking about hitting a hiding a 260 hitter that gets on base at a 33, 33.5% clip. I'm good with that. And by all accounts, a guy who seems to be a great clubhouse yeah. guy, a guy yeah. you want around your team, and that's you know doing all the right things. Yeah, I, I think for me, though, if I had one more move, I would try to find that, that mid-level, I hate to use Lance Lynn as, as, as the guy, but that Lance Lynn-level type pitcher that you're like, all right, that guy can kind of bypass on the marketplace. I can get him for this amount of money for this year. I, I'm in with that guy. Yeah. Uh, overall, I think it's an exciting deal. It's I think cert- it is. It is a good one for the Reds, but I also have questions about what it means going forward. It's and, fair. And I do think— I, But I go back to—I mean, you. But look, man, you— you got a fan base that just has, has just said enough. No moss. Enough. We've 90 plus losses four years in a row. Hey, look at the shiny little thing on the west side of Cincinnati that's coming. The shiny little soccer team. I'll get in with them. Well, and let's be honest. It's not bad timing right now with the, Bengals, the Bengals being too, the situation right. there. And people Absolutely. are so done with them. Correct. It would be a good idea PR-wise to try to be the exciting team in town again. Hey, you, you go to the point of that fan who, who likes them both but has decided I'm going to go to one or the other. I'm going to put my more of my money towards that. I think right now you'd go, I'm, I'm, I'll go to a few more Reds games now. 
And there is one other thing that we haven't talked a lot about when we talk about all the Reds' plans, and that is that you've had one of the game's best hitters on your roster for a long time and done absolutely nothing with him. It would be a shame to see him his whole career go to waste. So I do understand trying to put a competitive roster around him for a few years left of his prime. You put Puig in front of him and you put Kemp behind him, however however you want to shake your life, or even Suarez would probably be behind him. You put those guys around him, you got to pitch to him suddenly, don't you? And if you don't, guess what, man? It's a bunch of guys on base for a bunch of three-run homers, three-run home run hitting dudes. Like I said, I think you got a chance to be an 800-run team and you've improved your pitching enough to be a sub-800-run team, maybe even a sub-750 team, maybe even a sub-720 team. You get to that stage, you're getting some serious win category. Skinny, the Bengals got beat up again by the Browns, 26-18 over the weekend. And it was worse than that. It felt a lot worse than that. Most fans feel that brings us one step closer to Marvin Lewis being ousted as the Bengals head coach. However, Adam Schefter reported on Sunday that if the Denver Broncos part ways with head coach Vance Joseph, he is expected to emerge as a candidate for the Cincinnati Bengals defensive coordinator job and potentially even their head coaching job if Marvin Lewis decides he has had enough of coaching. Notice it didn't say if the Bengals have had enough of him. Correct. Um, is it a foregone conclusion that the Bengals are going to have some combination of Marvin Lewis, Hugh Jackson, and or Vance Joseph running the team next year? No, because, look, be, beware of national reports, man. I mean, the, the one last year I was in Minnesota when the report came down of Marvin Lewis, uh, you know, basically looking at other options and going to step aside at the end of the year, and, and that, that, was, that was Marvin putting that out there. He's the one that told Adam Schefter that. I'm guessing this is, this is Marvin getting out in front of this whole story saying, hey, Vance gets fired. I'm going to bring Vance in. Hughes, my offensive coordinator, and, and we'll see where we go from there. And, and and suddenly, that's him putting pressure on the organization to say, "Look, I got a plan, and, and you're going to throw in my plan." I think it's a foregone conclusion. I, I I would I would say this. I've always thought it was a foregone conclusion. Hugh Jackson would be the head coach. I think the the more good things the Browns do, the more you have to look and go, "Well, you know what? I'm not sure I can do that any longer." Um, I do think that's why Hugh came here because I think he he was either he was either guaranteed or had the belief that he was going to be the next head coach. I mean, how do you get your fan base excited over a failed head coach having a failed head coach as his offensive coordinator and a failed head coach as his defensive coordinator and say that's how we're rallying the troops? And look, in this league, it happens. I mean, guys don't work out as a head coach; they go back and be a coordinator. But how do you do that to this fan base? Now you cannot, you can't do, it. you can't do it with a straight face and expect anybody to take you seriously. I don't think there's a Bengals fan that has an issue with Vance Joseph. Like I don't think anyone's thinking Vance Joseph stinks or he isn't any good. The problem it's is the no one of- wants a retread that's Correct. already been part of this group. They want something new. They want change. They want a different message. I think they, they deserve want a it. Different voice. Of course they do. I, I, I mean, there's obviously we don't think there's any way they should or could do this, but. Have you no, heard- my, my fear was that they went to Cleveland and won and somehow went to Pittsburgh and won, and that was going to be enough. I, and honestly, if, if you're a Bengals fan, the best thing that could have happened Sunday was it got worse than 26-18, and it actually looked better in the end. Uh, they're 17-point underdogs this week against Pittsburgh, which is just obscene and insane to me. Um, but if, for me, I think your hope would be this has to end in a disaster if 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 it does then perhaps that becomes the final. So that, that's enough. It's, you've hit the that's enough stage. And what's what's riding on that game for Pittsburgh Sunday? Uh, they must win, and they must have Baltimore lose to Cleveland to win the division. So you could see this turn into a 30-point blowout. You could, but this is also a pretty dysfunctional Steeler team too, though. That game is going to be interesting. I think it does matter what happens in that game for the Bengals' future because my guess is the Bengals haven't decided yeah, what they're well, going to by do By the way, yet. folks, whenever you see stories like this, that this is how it's going to – it is one of the three people involved that are the ones that are putting that out there to Adam Schefter in case you're wondering – or their agent. So just in case you're wondering – Where not, is he getting that correct, unnamed that, source? That, that's from that. And so what happens is he puts that out there, and then they, they say, hey, thanks for putting that out there for me. And then I thought it was a slap for Marvin last year to say, oh, I, I don't know where that story came from. Yeah, you do. You came from you. Yeah. you. You know, Mike and Katie aren't texting these stories out to Adam Schefter. No, I would tell you, Katie Blackburn, from what I was told last year at Minnesota, walked up to Marvin on the field after that story was out there and said, do I need to know something? That's how, that's how in the door she did. Do, do I need to know something? No, no. I texted the coach on the coaching staff. I said, what's going on? He goes, don't even know who's coaching today. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice. That's what a good. day that was. What a day that was. I bet. Well, let me ask you one more question yeah. on this topic. Have you heard any other rumors, any other rumblings, any other names that could possibly give Bengals fans a ray of hope that it won't be one of these three guys as their head coach next year? No. I mean, the the, the, the one name I know that, that, that people have talked about, not officially, not internally, not 
out there openly other than football geeks is because he's he's got a Bengals tie, and let's face it, the family has liked guys with Bengals ties. Is, is Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy? He's a former running back. The thing is, I mean, if you're Kansas City's offensive coordinator, you you're, you're you are involved in the offensive process. But who's the play caller on Sundays? It's Andy, Andy Reid, right? So I mean, at least you're involved in the play calling part of the, well, or, the, or, the or at least the game plan process. And I think you'd also like to hope he's learned something yeah, watching correct. the way Andy's calling correct. these games. Correct. I still think this family loves familiarity, um, and it it. it the compromise for them, I thought, was Hugh Jackson. But again, the more things that happen in Cleveland where you're like, wait a minute, look what this cat's done with a similar roster versus what that cat did with a similar roster. It, it's it's hard to go, oh, i got to sell that to the fan base. Eric Bieniemy was like a 5'8", 150-pound running back to no, play special teams, wasn't he? was about 220, he? but he was, he was bowling ball. He, was, he, was, he had one of the great kickoff returns, though, of all time. No, I remember Two yards that, in yeah. New York against the Giants. So um, He was a good athlete. He was a good player, good solid pro. I, that, I guess that's a compromise for you, if, if you will. But I think you need to you need to go so far. You need to have the most energized hiring you've ever had to make the fan base come back. Because even, honestly, even if you hire Eric Bieniemy, the the majority of this fan base would go yawn. And it really, I mean, it really would yawn. Would you go to the college ranks try to grab one of those college guys? And I don't know. No, I, no. I, I I I get those that that do. I mean, the Lincoln Rileys of this world. It's fun. I just I. It's just a different game at the NFL level. It's just a different, different game. Skinny, during Sunday's win, Baker Mayfield jogged past the Bengals' sideline and stared Hugh Jackson down for an extended period after completing a long pass. We've seen him give Hugh the the dead fish after the first game when Hugh went in to try to hug him. We've seen him talk about Hugh on social media and call him fake. We've seen him call out other guy. I think yesterday he sent out a Colin Cowherd tweet on Christmas Day. Do you think Mayfield's pettiness is a problem for him, or do you think that's just who he is? I think it just drives him. I think it, I think it's silly. I mean, look, last I checked, Hugh Jackson is the one that stumped to draft Baker Mayfield. He thought enough of Baker Mayfield that that he wanted Bay. He wanted Baker Mayfield. Okay, Baker Mayfield needs to understand this. He was mad that from from the jump he wasn't the starter. That's okay. That's competitive. I I don't mind a guy like that. But look in this league. More times than not, you start a rookie first game, you're probably going to wind up losing your job. Oh, wait, he did lose his job. So, I mean, you know, he he's he's upset about that. Now, I don't know what all went on behind closed doors with those guys. Maybe in, in meeting rooms. Maybe Hugh just turned him off. Maybe Hugh and he had a, a horrid relationship from the jump. Um, I, I think this is him. It's, it's whatever it is that he needs to get fueled by. I remember the one, I woke up feeling dangerous today. Okay, there's that. The two games against the Bengals, Hugh Jackson's kind of fueled him. I think he, I think he thrives on all of that stuff. The, the whole going up to Ohio State and planting the flag after the game. I'm guessing he thought of, if we somehow win this game, I'm going to do the most ridiculous thing ever, and I'm going to shove it up their ass. Okay, go do it, man. Go do your thing. It's going to backfire on you at some point. It's going to, it will backfire on you at some point. You're going to stare down or talk to the wrong guy in the wrong way at the wrong time, and you're going to get your clock clean. But I, 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 got, I, I guess I have a problem with it as a coach, but I don't have a problem with it because this is what fuels him to, to do the things he does, and he's done some great things. He's really good, man. I can't get enough of the guy. Here, here's the one thing that really stands out to me about it. Usually when you're that guy on a bad team that's lost a lot during the season, people do not want to hear Correct. from you. Your teammates are annoyed by you. It's like, shut up. Because you're making it about you is what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, and it's just dysfunctional at that point. When if you're you listen to him good. talk, I mean, he really talks about the guys. He talks about teammates. And, and, and he More talked about he even talked about that hit from Carlos Dunlap. He said he didn't think, A, the hit was dirty. He said, but B, I liked that my guys had my back. That's, what, that's the exact thing I was just going to bring up. More importantly than any of that is the fact that when he does this stuff, when he does, you know, get into it with the other teams or teams take shots at him, there's not one guy in the Cleveland Brown organization that doesn't say, that's my guy and I've right. got his back. They all believe in him. He's inspired them. He is a leader and he he excites people. And like, that is one thing, Andy Dalton, to his credit, he's been a great quarterback. I really do. Not a great. He's been a good, quarterback, good quarterback for the Bengals. He's done a good job for them. The one thing I think he's always lacked is having any he just leadership have, he just doesn't have it. it just no it, one looks at the guy and like you hear his pregame speeches when they do the mic'd up and it's like hey guys come on look at what we practice we're gonna go out yeah. there and get it done let's go have fun like no one responds correct. to that guy correct correct and i think carson palmer had the same issue as a quarterback really talented just guy get, get, i'm gonna do my job no you personality do your job. Yeah. no one followed him no one believed in him and 
it's not the biggest thing in the world because these guys are professionals. They're out there to do their job. But I do think it matters when you believe in that guy who's making I, all the no, plays I, for I, you. I think that's that's fair. And I mean, there's no question that those guys do. There's no doubt about that. They absolutely do. Kentucky beat North Carolina 80-72 over the weekend, Skinny, which means only one question can be asked. Is this the miracle work of Camp Cal once again? Or did you think North Carolina just wasn't very good in that game? Um, I think a little bit of both. Um, I think Carolina's good. I don't think they were very good in that game. Um, and some of that is, I, I don't think their bigs are great. And I thought Kentucky was able to take advantage of some of that stuff. And, and we talked about it a little bit last week. And, and this is not meant as a slap at one particular player in Quad A Green. But sometimes the addition by subtraction, just because it it changes the, the complexion of your team, it changes the chemistry of your team, it changes the dynamic of your team, all of those things. Um, and let's face it, Carolina is never going to be a very good defensive team, right? And so when you play a team like Kentucky, they can probably score enough to to match you. And then Kentucky defensively was was decent. I mean, uh, let's face it, we've talked about them not being a great defensive team. I think they're up to 33rd in Ken Palm in defensive efficiency, which yeah. is not awful. It's not elite, but it's not awful. It's going to win you a lot of games, especially when you play a team like Carolina, which isn't very good defensively. See, and I think I think people confuse Carolina playing fast and letting other teams score a lot of points because there's tons of possessions in their game with them not being good defensively because they're ranked 25th in defensive yeah, efficiency. I just, I, I, they just don't, inside, their interior wasn't very is not They're not the good. toughest team, yeah. but, but this is typical Roy Williams. He's yeah, right. willing to give up baskets because he knows his guys are going to run down and score on you. They only scored 72. And that and that didn't happen against Kentucky, right. which was the most interesting part of this game. I thought Kentucky's defense has come a long way since they lost. Not even lost, but even like the VMI game when the team's chucking in 19 threes. Or the loss to Seton Hall. Yeah, that's, now, Seton Hall made some big, big boy shots. I mean, let's face it, down the stretch, they made contested big boy shots. Sure they did, but North Carolina's a lot more talented no than question. Seton Hall. And no I mean, question. that game, you're just two games removed. We, we, we saw them make strides against Utah, and, and it's like, okay, it's Utah, and you're playing at Rupp Arena. So let's see what happens You know, when you play another one of these marquee games. This is at least those guys showed up. It, but, it looked nothing like the Duke game. And granted, Duke's cool. better than North Carolina. Yeah, and it's light years away now. But UK looked shell-shocked. They didn't look ready. And then they were just kind of in a funk for a few weeks. We're starting to see them come out of that funk, and I don't know how good they are yet. Like I don't, I'm not going to say, oh, they're a final no, four I, I, contender. The one thing I think you're going to see this year is the fact because the SEC is so much better than it's been, and arguably it's it's an elite league this year to a large degree. That now you're going to see them get challenged night in and night out in that league, as opposed to some past years where you had to kind of see something in the non-league to go, okay. Once they get get to the league, they're going to storm through it. They're going to improve because of it. Um, I, I think this way, they're going to get some challenges and improve because of it. Um, I, I thought this was a big win. And they follow if they follow it up with a win against Louisville, then that that ends a pretty decent non conference portion of the schedule for them. I do like you mentioned quite a Greenleaf. I do like this eight man rotation. They yeah. kind of settled in for. They have their five starters. There's not guys like the guys on the bench aren't playing 20 minutes. Right. They're playing 15, 15, yep. and 10. It's, it's like, it's more of a normal team, and Cal doesn't usually have that because he's trying to shuttle so no, much you, talent well, and in you, and, and out. You had, you had kind of that one extra body, that kind of guy you're trying to fit into different places, and it just it just didn't fit. And a lot of other years, it feels like he's been able to do that more easily, Yeah. and this team just wasn't taken to him. Part of it was because the point guard play wasn't very good, but I tell you what, P.J. Washington is just, he's dedicated himself to being the glue guy for this team and doing all the small things. He only had 11 points in that game. I think his performance got overshadowed because you know you had Travis Reed had a great game um, and then uh, also Keldon Johnson was excellent I think he had over 20 points yeah, as well he was, really good. he was really exciting to watch and he makes all those plays but PJ Washington 11 rebounds eight assists I think to go or uh, 10 rebounds eight assists to go with his 11 points I believe he played he just does it all for him right now I mean he does a little bit of everything he defends he rebounds he makes plays for his teammates which I Honestly, right. that wasn't really a part of his game coming in. He's become a better passer. He's developed feel. I think Cal has just done a tremendous job developing him over the last two seasons, and it's starting to pay dividends. I think they've got a team that's that's starting to find their identity, and they've got guys that are starting to be willing to accept roles. And to me, that's the most important that's thing. That's the huge part. Ashton Hagen's another guy playing a role, willing to just give you energy and defense. And I mean, that play at the end of the game where he gets a steal, saves it yep. from inbounds, throws it, then North Carolina starts running up the court. He sprints back down and steals it again in the front court. That effort is just, those are the types of plays that win you games no and fire up your team. Against good teams. Yep. Against good teams for sure. Rick, UC beat UCLA by 29 points last week at home. Bearcats now 11-2 and with losses to only Ohio State, which is ranked. That was at home in the opener. And at Mississippi State, which is ranked. A neutral site win over Ole Miss, though, is their best win. And they're 54th overall in Ken Palm. 
Have your expectations for the Bearcats changed this year after the non-conference slate, or are they about where you thought? I would say they have slightly changed. I don't think in a good way. Yes, I do too. I don't think they're I'm much. I don't think my the end game is much different for them. I thought they were like a first round, probably kind of low seeded team in the seven to ten range. They may be like a six seed yeah. now. I think. Uh, I still think they're a first or second round team. They're not going much farther than that. I don't think they have a lot of upside here. They are better and more consistent than I ever thought they'd be. I thought they'd have some growing pains. The only thing I will say about the Xavier and UCLA wins, which look great. I mean, and you take nothing UCLA's away from him. Trash. They're, they're totally dysfunctional. Alfred's about to get fired. I mean, he has to get fired at some I mean, point, you, I would you think. You allegedly have elite talent, right? You have, what, three NBA, four NBA guys on yeah. your roster, and you can't, you can't even compete. And, and like, I mean, and they followed that up, by, by the way, if you didn't know, most people probably did. They followed that up by going neutral site against Ohio State and getting, not boat race, but get, getting beat, beat handily. Insanely. Yeah. 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 And, and I think UC is in a position where they are. They are better than people expected, but I'd also, like, Xavier is not good, and they had no idea who they were. UCLA is dysfunctional and, and not good. So, again, those two wins are great, but then you also look at that, that game against Mississippi State, and it's like... That looked like a, uh, a, a normal NCAA tournament-level game against a team that you're trying to grind it out with that can play that game just as good as you can and you can't score with them. And again, it is hard because it wasn't neutral. It was at Mississippi State. They are a top 25 team. Um, they are kind of on a roll. Um, it was probably a bad matchup for you, all of those things. But you get to the second round of the NCAA tournament, what are you facing? You're facing the Mississippi States of the world, right? Yep. And I know UCLA's defense was god-awful in that game. But the one big positive I'd have if I was a UC fan is the way that they attacked yep. that UCLA team on the offensive end. It was almost like, and again, you're back at the that third home? arena, yeah. which makes a little bit difference for the UC team as we've seen in the past. But you go from that Mississippi State game where, like you said, bogged down, couldn't score once again, same old, same old. They took off in that UCLA game, and from the get-go, they were trying to attack. I think they knew UCLA was going to want to run. And, and, and maybe some of that was, we know we can't attack because they're not going to show us any. They're, they're not going to, to give us any resistance either. No, but credit Mick for not saying, I'm still going to handicap my guys. Like right. He knew we could go out, we could attack these guys, we could score, and he did so. Which sometimes I think we've seen him, no, I want to be stubborn and do it my way, and we're going to play our style. I, I don't know. I'm not saying, does I'm that not saying take him, changing. Uh, does that take him and them out of the shell then? I'm not saying he's changing and he's completely out of it because, again, it was a home game against a team that I think he knew they were going to be able to score against. But I think in the past he's had those similar situations where he hasn't been willing to say, let's play more up-tempo and let's go attack these guys on offense. And, you know, before the year started, you and I and Chad, we're going to be back to doing our, our Sunday podcast, actually the first January, first Sunday in January. So we've got a couple, couple weekends to, to go to get back to doing that. Um, so this is probably a better question for him. But I'll ask you because you follow the whole game as well. I thought the American was going to be markedly better, and I don't think it is. And no, I so think now, it's really bad. That's why, that's why I'm looking and going, all right, I thought you'd have to slog your way to 13-5. and five. I think you maybe cruise your way to 15-3. and three. Yeah, they can win the conference again. Yes. I think that's the big difference. Most people coming into this year thought, okay, UC's like third in the right. American, maybe second, but like they're as good as anyone in the no conference question. again this year, no and, and maybe even the favorite to win yeah. it. Yeah. Credit again. This this year is a testament to McSystem, yes. the discipline, yes. the keeping guys for four years that didn't do anything their freshman or sophomore year, the Justin Jennifer types who here's, I've been critical what, of. What you're going to get is you're, you are they are going to defend every year. They're going to defend, so that's going to keep you in a bunch of games, right? Um, they, they are going to try to share the ball. They're going to try to grind you out, and and it is a formula that absolutely works in the regular season for them against the schedule and, and league they play. The question is. Can you have that breakthrough in the NCAA tournament? That's where last year's so disappointing, and I hate to bring it up, because that team was capable of doing that, more than capable of doing of having that breakthrough for you, and they didn't. Yeah. So now you got to wait till I get the perfect storm again to go through this again and hope that you can pull it off, and that's that's really hard. It's just it's hard for everybody. To me, it's like last year you saw the downside of yes. the way McCrennan does things in his system because it really limited two NBA guys, two clear cut NBA guys, and a third who pretty darn talented on the Point offensive overseas. end. Yeah. And this year, it's like, everyone's like, well, they lost a lot of talent. But you, you take the Justin Jennifers, the Nazir Brooks, the Trey Scotts, who may, a lot of teams may have said, you need to look elsewhere. You're not good enough to play right. at this level. Or, or you're being shuttled to the end of the bench, and you're going to be unhappy. Mick trusted those guys, said, stick to my system. It'll work out for you. And now you're seeing the benefit because yes. they're really not much different from what they were last year, even though they're not nearly as talented. Correct. And, but again, there, there's the upside to it, which is you're going to have that consistent year-in, year-out success 
through the regular season. And I hate to say it, right or wrong, you're still measured by what you do in March. And that's what that, that kind of sucks to some degree. Yeah. And so to that end, I would say I don't think UC is going to necessarily make a run at the end of the season, but this regular season is going to be pretty fun for the Bearcats and, once again. And, and who knows? Maybe this is a team that plays relaxed enough in the NCAA tournament that it is house money and they do get favorable matchups. And you look up and this team is nowhere near as talented as last year's team. It's not because it, it absolutely is not. Right. You look up and they're playing in the second weekend. Yeah. And then the one thing I, I always said about Xavier when they were the Atlantic 10, Sometimes you weren't as good as those other teams you were going to play in the NCAA tournament, but because for the last six weeks in conference play, you just kept building confidence right. and building on what you were doing and getting better because you're you're the class of the conference and you have that mentality, UC has the same thing in the American now. It's not the Big East where it's a war every night no, and right. your confidence is getting shaken up when you lose on the road. UC is going to go win a bunch of games in conference and have a lot of confidence going in the NCAA tournament. No question about it. All right, Rick, time to look at some betting lines. I'll let you run them off for me for this week because we got a bunch of them to get through. Yeah, we're going to start in college basketball. On the 29th, UK is at Louisville. This is the big one of the week for me. I'm excited about this game, especially with the way those two teams have played recently. UK is a one-point favorite. The total is 147. Either way, it's basically a pick em, pick em level game, right? I mean, you, whoever you take minus one, guess what? The worst you can get if you take it is a push, So, or the best you can get. So... It's basically who do you think wins this game? I think Kentucky wins this game. I do. Um, I just think they're the better team. I think the, the the Carolina game was a confidence builder for them. I think you're right. They finally got the rotation that's clicking. Uh, you know, this, this will be this will be a crazy, crazy atmosphere because Louisville fans have reason to believe that their team can actually do some things because they're doing some things, but. Um, that said, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go with Kentucky, and that's not my heart because I'm, I'm a Kentucky football guy and a Kentucky basketball guy. So I'll, I'll go Kentucky in a, in a five-point victory. I'm with you. I, I think Kentucky wins this one. I think it goes over. Yeah, I think it goes over, and I think Kentucky wins as well. I like what Chris Mack is doing there. I, I think he'll have his guys ready to play. One thing about Chris Mack is those big games – his teams usually show no up doubt. for. I mean, they've done it this year. Xavier fans are always going to point to Villanova, but outside of that, and by the way, the one time Chris Mack had fifth ranked team in the country, he did beat Villanova yes, at correct. home. So um, I think I think he'll be ready, but his team's still a year away from yeah. really being talented enough to beat Kentucky. And Kentucky finally figured some things out. I'll roll with them. Also on the 29th, Xavier is at DePaul. The Musketeers are two point underdogs at DePaul. Total one forty four for that game. What do you got? I'm taking X. I I I know it probably smacks in the face because they've not really even the you know the most recent win doesn't do much for me. But I'm I'm gonna go. I'm going Xavier until DePaul can show me something when it matters in Big East play. It's hard to pick them even though they're at home. I'm gonna go with Xavier, and I'm going over. I'm going over as well. I'm gonna go with Xavier too, and I like the over. This Xavier team though, like. You don't know what's going on with Najee Marshall. You don't right. know what's that's, going on with... That's legit. Tyreek Jones is going to be back, I think. It was a head thing. They were being all cautious. a couple different times, though, right? It is, but it was also... That's why they were being super cautious. It was, it was Detroit Mercy. I think, you know, you know you can survive without him in that right. game. He'll be back. But Najee Marshall, the back thing's acting up. Who knows what to expect with him? But I do think if Quentin Gooden continues to play the way he's been playing and these guys buy in defensively the way they have... It's been a struggle to this point, but I think they, they know they have confidence against DePaul. They go to DePaul and get a big win that they and, need. And that's the other part is suddenly you go, okay, all, all the non-conference is behind us. Here's what we've done well. Here's what we've not done well. You've had what? You're going to have, what, eight days in between games, whatever it was, uh, to, to, to do some things. And some of the holiday was over that too. But enough practices to to do it. The message being, hey, fresh start, 0-0. Zero zero, let's start again. You know, We think we can hang our hat on this, this, and this. I, I think they have enough to hang their hat on and then go to Paul and pull, pull off the victory. All right. UC doesn't play again until next Wednesday, so we'll pick yep. up with them on the next yeah, that's podcast. A long, that's, a long, that's a long time off for them. Yeah, but I'm sure Cronin loves I mean, the I way know. those guys are playing, get a bunch of practice to yep. go to, I think yep. I think they're probably happy with where they're at right yep. now. We'll, we're not skipping over them, but we'll talk about them again next week when they're playing. College football on the 29th, 4 p.m. We've got the college football games, Notre Dame, college football playoff games, excuse me. Notre Dame versus Clemson. Clemson is 12 and a half point favorites. The total is 55 in that game, Skinny. I, I, I Clemson's obviously got the issue with the, the suspension of the defensive tackle and a couple other guys. A couple other guys don't really matter, but it is a bad time for that to happen. Thought it was a joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I still think Clemson's so much better on both sides of the ball. I'll go Clemson. 38-17, so I got to push on the total and Clemson covering the 12.5 easily. I'm going to say Notre Dame covers, but Clemson wow. wins the game. I, I just think you got a couple guys out. I also think there's always one team who doesn't belong in this, and a lot of people feel that's Notre Dame. I think it's going to be Oklahoma that gets boat raced. So, you say that. so I'm going to say Notre Dame stays close to Clemson in this one and covers the spread, but Clemson advances. 
I think they go over the total. And then that brings us to the second game, 8 p.m., Oklahoma versus Alabama. Alabama is 14-point favorites, and the total for that game is 77. Oklahoma is so bad defensively. They're so bad defensively. Um, I mean, they haven't stopped. Any, that's the thing. You can't look at anybody and say they've stopped. They've slowed. You can say they slowed anybody. Maybe Texas a little bit, but even then, they didn't stop them. I was told they were a power dominate you, smash mouth football team over the weekend. I said, "Well, you may think that on the offensive end, but where I come from and in the Midwest, we actually have to tackle and win the battle at the line of scrimmage to that's, be a power kind of smash key. mouth football team." Now that said, Oklahoma can score on anybody, but you're not scoring in the 40s on Alabama. You're just nope. not. I think Alabama hangs 54, Oklahoma gets 27. So I'm going to go Bama comfortably and the over. I mean, that's a big number. Can you imagine 77 as a total in an Alabama game? I've, I find it hard to believe. I don't. Do you think Alabama's going to score in the 40s? I think they're scoring in the 50s, 54. They're hanging 54. This defense is terrible, terrible. Man, that's. I do think Alabama blows them out. I was thinking it'd be more lower scoring. I know. No, I think Oklahoma can score. I mean, I Kyle Murray does enough enough things creatively that when plays break down, he's going to make some plays. I know Oklahoma can score, but when you start getting sm- smacked in the mouth by Alabama, and you, you're just you've been playing a different sport all year than the SEC and the Big Correct. Ten. Correct. You've been playing a sport where defense and play at the line of scrimmage is non-existent. I just find it hard to believe you're going to come in and beat this Alabama team. I got. I do go just because Bama. the unscripted plays Kyler Murray can make. That, that's the that's he's the really talented. Me. That's the one thing for me. He's going to get out of pocket and go run for forty yards. He's going to get out of pocket and throw one as far as he can down the field to a receiver that because it's unscripted got behind people. But they're not going to be able to do that. They're not going to be able to sustain drives. They're not putting big drives together. They're going to hit a couple of big plays uh, again. I'll go fifty four twenty seven Bama. I'm going to go Alabama in a blowout, but I think it's just under. I don't think it hits that too. All right. And then on New Year's Eve at noon, we've got Virginia Tech, Cincinnati. The Bearcats are five and a half point favorites. The total is 53 and a half. Skinny, where are you at on that one? I like the Bearcats. That five and a half is a bad number, I think, because Virginia Tech started playing a little bit better down the stretch. I mean, this is a team, don't forget, lost to Old Dominion during the during the season. That's never a good look. No. Because um, Old Dominion actually wasn't very good at their level either. Um, I, I'll go UC. I'm going to go Virginia Tech to cover. I'm going to go UC. 24-20. I'll go, UC, I'll go Virginia Tech to cover UC to win and the total to go well under the 53.5. Yeah, I think that sounds about right. I think when you get into bowl games like this that aren't the college football playoff games, and especially ones that are a little lesser right. where it's not, not a lot at stake here, it's always about who wants it more, who does it matter sure. to more. And you see like everything matters right now to them. They're excited to play in this game. I, I think Cincinnati wins it for that reason, and I think it goes under as well. On New Year's Day at 1 p.m., we've got UK... Versus Penn State, six and a half point underdogs are the Cats, and the total is 47 and a half. Who do you got? I'm going Benny. If Benny Snell's playing, which he says he's playing, he's ready to roll, he's got a chance to set the school rushing record, all of those things. The fact that it matters to him to play in this game, even though he's turning pro, um, I, I'm going to go Kentucky in the upset straight up 27 24. And for them to score 27, but I think the Louisville game got them at least a chance to breathe and go, okay, we can still do this. We can still score some points. I think Benny Snell goes for 210 yards, Kentucky 27-24. No, I don't see it. I think I think they lose. Uh, I, I don't know if Penn State covers. I would stay away from that number just in general. I don't feel comfortable at all about the 6.5. But the 47.5, I think they go under. So I've got Penn State to win straight up. And the the under. And the under. And uh, 5 p.m. on New Year's Day, we've got Washington versus Ohio State. Ohio State is favored by 6.5. The total is 57.5. Who do you got on that one, Skinny? You know, Washington played really well down the stretch, and they're they're actually a pretty good team, but there's no way Ohio State's not sending Urban Meyer out with a big win. It's just, it's... There's zero chance Urban Meyer loses his last game. Correct. And so if you think he's going to win, and you think they're going to have that level of emotion, even though they're not... And this is a team that the dangerous part is they're not in the college football playoff, right? So what does this game matter? Well, it does matter. It's going to matter to Urban, and that way it's going to matter to those players. For the record, it does not matter, but you're right. They'll they'll, trick the the team and himself into thinking it matters. Yeah, I'll go Buckeyes 38-20, and he's cover and barely over the 57 and a half i like that. i think i think they cover easily and i think it also hits the over easily because ohio state will score a bunch and washington comes from out west where no one plays any defense so they'll probably be well right that there league with is them. just trash it's I mean, just it, it, awful it's, it's, it's a bad league. it's a joke 
And finally, on Sunday in the NFL, we've got the Bengals at the Steelers. The Bengals are 14.5-point underdogs. And I think it's actually soared to 17 Wow, in okay. some places. All right, well, 45.5 is the total for that one. I like the total. I think it hits the total. I think it goes over. And I think the Steelers cover that 14.5. Do you really? I do. That's probably fair. I was thinking along the lines of 31-17 Steelers. So I put them just under. No, just over. But just uh, but the Bengals covering by a half. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, the Steelers just yeah. under the number. I'll go Steelers 31-17. The Steelers get off to a bad start, though. This could be a really dysfunctional game. Even though they have something to play for, you can be doing a little scoreboard watching, too. Maybe you look up and you see Ravens 17, Browns nothing. You're like, yeah, boy, we're done. It doesn't really matter. It's a dysfunctional group right now. Now, the flip side is... They could also look up at the scoreboard. It could be Browns 10, Ravens 3 midway through the third quarter and looking and saying, holy cow, let's put these dudes away and hope. And that because they have to win it and they need the Brown, they need the Ravens to lose to win the division. 31-17. I'm just kidding. Sounds right. Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers against the Bengals in a game they need to win. Correct. Marvin Lewis, do you know the number? I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, I'll let you guess the number. They, Marvin's coached 33 games against the Steelers in his career, including playoffs. What do you think the record is? Five and twenty-eight. It's pretty close. Eight and twenty-five. That was pretty well oh. done. Eight and twenty-five. So I'm they have they, a few of them. Late, it hasn't been so good. I think no. it's ten of the last eleven. Pittsburgh's won. Pittsburgh owns them, and I'm not telling you the Bengals win this game or even sniff winning this game. Two touchdowns in that league is a lot of points, man. That's a lot of freaking points. And look, they're saying exactly what I just said. This is what Vegas is saying: Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, Pittsburgh Steelers against Marvin Lewis and the Bengals in a game that they need. You, you make as many as they need. It's fair. It is fair. I would say this. Vegas, Vegas. I, I don't know if they took a bath on Sunday or not, but that line against the Browns opened at 7.5. So for all those that gobbled up Browns at 7.5, right, they're feeling pretty good. The line went all the way to 10. It closed at 10. So everybody else along the way, those that late Bengal block punt touchdown two-point conversion meant a lot to a lot of folk. Wow. That's all I can tell you. A lot. The Christmas miracle. Exactly. All right, Rick, it's our favorite time in the podcast, as you know. It's time to toss, talk about ghosts. Maybe not ghost sex, I don't think. I just know we're going to talk about ghosts and a man who has seen ghosts. Well, and people didn't believe us. <laughs> I know that. That this was taking off and that guests wanted to get in on it. But we have a special guest we here. We have a celebrity and guest. And it's a big guest. <laughs> not, like, not, not big in size, but yeah. big in stature. Sure, I just wanted to specify something. that To give proper background, that when I saw that what has been happening with the ghost conversation, I, had, I instantly sent a text to both of you guys that said, I got ghost stories. I want to tell them, but can I come on if they're not about ghost sex? I, there's no sex involved, so I just wanted to make sure that's okay, or if that's if that's how niche you have gotten, that you're all the way into it, you have to have had some sort of fornication with a ghost. Very into ghost sex, but as we found out in doing so, we have a natural curiosity about ghosts and the supernatural in general, yeah. and we've been finding out a lot of things. I think we've been uncovering a lot of things. Yes. We're almost... Ghost journalist, I'd say at this point. I think point. we're getting close to being that. <laughs> um, well, we're on show on Discovery Channel at some point, or Sci Fi, or one of those. By the way, did we even say that's the voice of Paul Daner? It, it is. Hi. Paul Daner Jr. from the Inquirer recovers the Bengals. Uh, was actually a fan noticed him in, in Pittsburgh over the weekend, or in Cleveland oh. over the weekend. Oh, it was, wow. He was, he, was, he was very excited by that. Yes. One of, someone who you knew. I did. It was someone I knew, and she was more excited to meet you than to see me. I think well, she, thought, I think she thought I was Doc. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, that's pretty typical. People it is. Yeah. usually are more excited to see your friends it, than you. It, it really it truly is. <laughs> well, let's let, let it rip. Well, I mean, I don't know where we're going with this. We just heard Paul has ghost stories. I, I, well, it's, it's one, it's word. one, it's one story in particular. Now, but it will make us believe in ghosts. You say? Yeah, I mean, I've believed in ghosts 100 percent since this day. So, so, so basically, here, here's how the here's how the story goes. So it was. Now, everyone's going to say, "Were you drinking?" Right? Okay. Because but, you do like to imbibe on occasion. Yeah, but this is this is actually this is actually back. This is like one of these high school party things. I'm like a senior in high school. I think wrestling was huge at the time, so I think there was a pay per view. So we went over to my buddy Nick's house. There was a bunch of us. There was probably about 15 dudes. It's one of these molar things, right? We're all hanging out, having a good old time. Well. All, you know, the house is, it's a pretty big house. And as we're in there, some people are starting to mention, oh, yeah, Nick says this house is haunted or whatever. And I'm, I'm a total non believer. This is Nick's house? 
This is Nick's house. Nick's house. Okay. Can, Nick, I, can I ask one question yeah. about when Molar guys hang out at a party in high school? Do you guys just set up and take charges in the living room? Yeah, or how yeah. does that work? <laughs> well, I, I don't think any of us played basketball, so we were all the ones that couldn't do that well. Enough. I assumed I assumed they you were all, practicing. All, yeah, all yeah. Molar guys do. <laughs> I assumed the student section just did charges. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. In, in fairness, no, that was not what happened. Uh, we, we, there was a portion of us into the wrestling, but that's neither here nor there. So, so there he he, he has. Um, a, a younger sister Nick had, and uh, so she's there too. And I don't know if she like didn't drink much or whatever, but apparently she dr- she drank to well more than she should have. And so she was sort of on this upstairs area, and I think Nick and some people were trying to kind of take care of her and like make sure she was okay or whatever. Regardless, a bunch of us just hanging out downstairs, and then they come running downstairs and say, "Oh my God, we just saw a ghost!" and I'm a total non-believer. Exactly. The, the initial reaction, come on. What, whatever. I'm, whatever. I'm just sitting I'm just sitting downstairs. We're watching God knows what terrible wrestling match on this, what terrible pay-per-view this was. Uh, and we're just we're just hanging out down there. I say, well, I'll believe, whatever, okay? This goes on, and then they're claiming, like, we need to get out of the house because there's this ghost. It's a, it's a baby in a diaper, and it's running around. And I'm like, what are you talking? I'm not leaving the house. So next thing I know, I go upstairs to see what's going on. And there are, there's, there's a bunch of them have gone outside. They're running around the outside of the house. And I'm like, I don't understand anything that's happening or why it's happening. I'm still, I'm just, what, whatever. Well, sounds like Pink Floyd's the wall. If this was Salem, they'd be burned at the stake. So this is all just background. Okay. So we, we finally get to a point where I am, we, they had, um, it was one of these sort of open concept a little bit, whereas the kitchen table, there's a little small, low Island, a living room. And then there was a hallway back to where the bedrooms are back behind us with a closet around the side. So we are sitting now we're all sitting and they're all recounting what they saw and myself and my buddy Brandon I'll, I'll never forget it to this day are sitting right next to each other with our backs to the hallway and uh so they're just telling these stories and we're sitting there like whatever and I I think so, there was a sound or something we both casually just turned around and I literally saw a hand come out of the closet and wave like its fingers started like waving and I, w- I turned back around. That's I the lo- Adams family, man. I looked to my buddy Brandon, and I go, did you? And he did the same motion that I had seen about coming out of the closet. He saw the same thing that I saw. So I'm... I've got goosebumps right now. Right. So I'm so in. so now, what would you do at this point? I'll, I'll open... The- at this point, you're sitting there, you see that. What would be your next move? First of all, let me ask you this. How did... What did it look like? Was it like an actual hand? Was it like ghastly as no, we... No, no. Um, like, a, like a normal person hand. So did you check and see if someone was just... So I was going to ask you, would you go over there? My friend on LSD once saw cats. <laughs> <laughs> were you guys on LSD? We were not on LSD. Okay. There was no, and, and like no was, drugs. You in didn't it. think it was possible that one of your friends were just like jerking you around? I did. That's why we all ran over there to so go into the closet. Yes, I was going to ask if you would, if you thought I, I that was dumb. I would, if a, I was at a party with friends, I would. If I was by myself, I wouldn't hell do it by no. myself. I wouldn't hell do it by no. myself. So we all run over to the closet. We throw the closet open, and we go in, and we're yanking everything out of it. I mean, blankets, all... All this stuff, nothing in there. Nothing. There's nothing in there. I mean, we ran right to it. There's just no way that anybody could have gotten out of this. Did you feel like a cold breeze or any goofy thing like that? No cold breeze. I just, I saw it. And if I had only seen it, I would have been like, my mind just kind of is being weird. But to look at my buddy and him do the exact same thing that I just saw coming out of the closet creeped me out. I was like, that's a a freaking ghost. I just saw one. Was there a projector of any kind that anybody was using to mess with you? I I mean, I guess it's possible that, that... that is a thing. But this is a little bit before we were bringing Tupac back to life in holograms. Yeah, there's no holograms. So, this, is, this is like 99. I don't know if the technology was there. Our technology, yeah, point. And I'm pretty sure that my buddies would not have been able to operate mirrors, it properly. Mirrors? Multiple mirrors? I don't think this is a mirror situation. There's a closet. So, so, okay, so there's more. So oh. so this is so this is sort of... Um, this is now the state of it's affairs. A it's a thing. It's a thing. <laughs> we're all... I mean, these other guys have seen this baby and ran ran around the it outside of the house. those brownies, man. Right. I knew it. <laughs> I'm telling you, this was, a, this was as far as I... Guys, I was all not on drugs. Were you all hugging it out and crying <laughs> at this point? Well, we're all... We're, we're all... It's it's like... Um, I think somebody actually brought out a, a, a camera at this point and we're all like doing confessionals. You're now ghost hunters. Yeah, we're doing confessionals yeah. to what we saw so we can document it So because we can't even believe it or whatever. So... At some point now, he, 
okay, I mentioned the the younger girl who they were trying to take yes. care of yes. earlier. Well, she had had gone to bed and she was like uh, asleep in whatever back we call bedroom. It passed out where I'm yes, from, okay, yes. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. So she's so she's back there, and so we somebody I think we somebody went back to check on her, came out and said, "Oh my God, you're not going to believe this." We go back. She now th- this could just be drunkenness, but it, because everything else going on, you're like whatever. She had changed into her prom dress and was laying in bed, and all the clothes she had been wearing were perfectly folded on top of a dog cage. And I'm like, what is going on in this house? Right? I, it, this felt like it could have been ghost influence. Now I have no proof of that, but it was like this is such another thing on top of everything else. That might be weirder than the hand. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. I know. So so Maybe so then, when she's drunk, she's really O C D. Yeah. So so at that point, someone had like a, a pack of cigarettes and they're like, all right, well, we're gonna shut that door and and it's all locked up and we're gonna just set these on top of this handle to show it in case someone is like back here screwing around we're all just going to hang out out here or whatever now again this is something where it could be a trick because i did not see anything for this next thing we know we someone goes back to check on it says you're not going to believe this the cigarettes had been taken out and they'd all been lined up one by one along the side Come of on, the hallway someone someone, someone that maybe i i mean that and i was in all of this i saw the Was hand fred accounted for these are smaller night? these are smaller portions of a bigger thing so then after all of this has gone on, and I'm totally freaked out. Like I don't know why we're still at this house. At yeah, this as I say, at this point, I'm, I'm, I gotta go home. <laughs> this sounds like the best high school party ever. It, it pretty much was, you know. Outside of there were really no girls outside of his sister. Well, I kind of figured that it's, yeah. it's a molar party. Yeah. Molar party. yeah. So, <laughs> so anyway, so then as I at one point I we do someone says they saw the baby again, right? The baby's back, and I'm like, so I'm like, kind of want to see this thing now. So I run up. And I go past that old hallway, and oh, God is my witness, baby about, I would say, probably about... Standing? Um, standing, about, to, to my belt, probably high, uh, in a diaper, sprinting down the hallway. But I see from the back, and I see it go, go into a room. Seriously? Yes! And again, yes. it looked like a live this human, This is the exact like a- thing that they had been talking about that they saw earlier that I did not believe and that they went and they were chasing around the outside of this house. So which one of these molar kids had an illegitimate child that I was hiding? I don't know. You know, you know what this sounds like? You're, you're too young to have seen it. Daner might be, but it's now. You can see reruns of this on Stars. This sounds like Pee-wee's Playhouse. It sounds like, like a yeah, rendition no of Pee-wee's Playhouse. <laughs> to, to me, really it sounds does. like American Horror Story. I don't know if you ever saw that on the facts. I, I mean, I will, I've never forgotten this house. I've never forgotten anything about <laughs> it. Baby! <laughs> so, again, is it, so is it, a, a, it actually looks like a human baby? The thing is, is I actually believe a human baby. Regular, it looks like, it looks like a human baby Regulation on the loose baby. in a diaper. Totally regular. Well, like <laughs> Regulation probably, size? Or? Probably larger than you would expect to be wearing a, a diaper and nothing else and running. Right. Um, Unpotty trained baby. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, clearly. Yeah, but still, still on the loose. And, <laughs> the <laughs> and, and running around. And, so, right, and, so maybe, you, and maybe that was the hand that came out. I don't know if they're, I don't know what, if the association is. So was there is. a backstory to the potential haunting of this house that like a baby died? I don't died? know that. No, I don't That's know that. That's what you need to find out. I mean, I, I think I had heard there were, those stories were out there as to why it was haunted, but they just always had, he had said it has always been haunted. And I didn't, you know, I didn't really listen much because I didn't believe much in that before when he was telling those backstories. But yeah, supposedly it's a, it's a haunted house and it definitely is now do you still talk to that guy yeah he just sent me an email actually about a week ago i need to, i'm gonna reply back and tell him that i'm talking about this story on, yeah on we, podcast. It sounds no offense sounds like we should have had him on I'll, um, i will I'll re- <laughs> i will reach out to him and we'll and get you and i'll relay to you the backstory well you know better better than that does he still live in that house no, I don't think so. Well, maybe no. he can get in contact with whoever does, and yeah. see if we can record a podcast there. Ooh, that's a terrible at idea. Night, at, at night, <laughs> no. In all seriousness, though, you know, who, someone hit us up with a pretty good idea on Twitter. I don't know if you saw. I this. did not see it. They said Bobby Mackey. No, I know should sponsor us and get us a live podcast over there. That would be pretty good. That would be awesome. If I saw yeah. that stuff, I'd wet my pants. A ghost really episode would. of Bobby Mackey. I, I honestly would wet my pants. I really would. It's pretty. It was pretty frightening. I Dude, the say. baby would have made me wet my pants more than any of the other stuff. The hand was the scariest. Really, to me, to me, the hand was the scariest because i had confirmation from somebody else that showed this they'd seen what i'd seen and and it was clearly something that just came out of nowhere and then we went and saw there was nothing in the closet i was totally losing it so seeing the full human baby running around in a diaper wasn't scary it was scary but i I was like like, but i saw it i didn't have a confirmation i get what you're saying maybe 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 it could be playing tricks on myself i'm seeing things but I, i know that i did not just see the hand so when 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 uh 
the girl woke up the next day. Did she explain any of, of her? I don't actions? think she had much explanation so like, uh, yeah, okay. to offer. Okay, that's what uh, I she's like, I went to a party last night. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 quite wild. You said you were a non-believer yeah. at that point. So, like, did, were you totally skeptical? Didn't believe in ghosts at all before the party? Or like, thought, where were yeah, you I at did, on I the did, ghost spectrum? I just at that didn't point, think yeah. ghosts were a thing. I just thought they were completely fictional and made up, and not like, why would they be real? How could ghosts be real? You know, that was my whole thought. And now, I mean, I'm a hundred percent sure there's ghosts and they're everywhere. You have like a great life, a great wife, and a, a, a wonderful kid. I'm I'm sure, but. Would you, when you were single, before you got married, would you have considered dating a ghost? Dating a ghost? No. I, it just seems, how do you take them out without, like, you can't go out anywhere? Low maintenance, man. That's a great part about them. Cheap checks. How, do not, they eat? Like Slimer style? Ex- ex- I mean, you don't have to pay but, for it. I don't know. Because if they eat like Slimer, it's expensive. Yeah, that's yeah, true. true. That's a lot of hot dogs. Multiple hot dogs. Yeah. Yes, multiple hot dogs. At once. But here's, once. Yeah. But here's the thing. You, I mean, at Senate, could you imagine? Worst case scenario, they can always skip out on the check. You know what that's, I mean? That's it's true. not like you're going to them, chase them down. Yeah, and you're always just being looked at. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm not really one to talk, draw attention to myself like that. You're talking to the ghost, and you can see yeah. the ghost. No one else can. All you got to do is hold up a phone is in front it of a ghost? you like you're on is, Facebook Live. Is it a ghost that no one else can see? Is is that what we're saying? Or is it one that know. people can see? Because no, I, I, I would go out with one that no one could see. I'm, I don't. Would I, what would make me weirder? I think going out with the ghost <laughs> that people can see is weirder. Yeah. Right, now, was there any chance you dozed off during this and, and imagined some of it? No. Because no I, I swear to God, I have a recurring dream, and it's probably once or twice a week. No, no. <laughs> Here we go. And it feels so real to me. We have planes that occasionally, they don't really fly over our house, but you can hear them from our house. And I swear that I am looking through. We have a we have one of those blackout shades yeah, in, on, our, on our main window. Good investment. And... I swear that I I can see through the blackout shade the plane barely going over my house with even the I can see the green light and the red light and every time I swear I am talking to my wife saying oh my god it almost hit the house again and it it goes on for who knows how long and all of a sudden I kind of like startle myself awake and look around and I hear another plane fly over I don't see the lights this time but it feels it feels absolutely a thousand percent real to me. And it's like every other week it happens. Every other week. Wow. Not to be a one-upper, but I heard a owl hoot for like six hours straight the other night. <laughs> that sounds like an LSD situation. That, yeah, that could have been true, though. That, actually, that part could have been true. No, I think that was real. I think yeah, it was exactly. actually an owl. Hear it. Yeah. So I don't know. So I wonder if your mind does play tricks, if that's what it is. I mean, that, and that's and that's why, because I was such a non-believer when I saw I the know. hand. If I'd I, seen that, no, my, dude, I that, that want, baby would have freaked me up. Yeah. Here's the thing. If this was some other Yahoo, like, I don't know, Jeff Hobson or something. I'm just kidding. I love Bush. I love Bush. I'm just kidding. If this was some other guy that it was just, you know, honestly, no, any of the Bengals. He's, he's very earnest about this. Paul is yeah. so normal and so, like, he's not going to make this up. Right. That's what bothers me I'm about not this. making it up. This I know. totally like, real. Yeah, like, I don't. I totally believe you, even though the story sounds outlandish. I might have to call Nick and have him. Maybe we can just record a call in for your show. Yeah, yeah. He, he can yeah. tell me more background on the house and, and what things yeah, see, that that's he's what seen. I want to know. If, if we find out that, that, honestly, a baby died in that house, I will literally. I'll, it I'll might be possible. I mean, I, I honestly just don't know uh, that specifically, but I'll, I will find out immediately. God, it's going to be man. one of those like weird situations where the mom killed the kid, I think. That's how I feel. And that's, that's my personal that's, man, that's mom's hand coming through the closet door? Potentially. Oh, Re- reaching boy. reaching oh, after the kid. Boy. Oh, boy. Yep. Oh, maybe, boy. maybe it was the hand going after the kid who was running down you the hallway, find- but I didn't see the kid running down the hallway you know, at that we point. Won't, we won't give this out of there, but we have to find out the address of this house, so I have to find out some back. I'm going to have to do some background. Yeah, I'm going to do some property. I'm going nowhere near it. That's all I know. I know where the neighbor. I know the neighborhood that it's in, and I would never go in there if I had to. I'm not... Andy Griffith Show once did an episode about this. It was old Asa that was behind the scenes. He was freaking everybody out and making everybody scared, and there was no I, truth it, to it. And it is. I mean, that would be the type of thing that you would expect out of a bunch of dudes in high school having a party. Yeah, like, I mean, let's play pretty, tricks. It's I, too, was too elaborate. Everything was too elaborate. Extremely elaborate. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Did you account for all the guys along the way? Like, like at some stage, Billy wasn't ev- Everyone turned. Everyone turned as it went along. Because I was like, okay. all the people in the basement were like not understanding why everyone upstairs was had this frightening look white like they saw a ghost right they all had this frightening look and we're like these guys are they're clearly playing some sort of joke there's just no way and then you understood it once you saw it and we all were just doing confessionals so we had it on record Wait, wow. are there footage of these confessionals? I don't somewhere? know what happened to that. I just know there was a video camera at one Someone's got to get that on YouTube. Yeah. Someone's no got to upload that. No question. Yeah. It, might, it might take some multiple <laughs> transfers from, yeah, uh, yeah. from VHS yeah. over. Yeah, I'm not sure how, how to do it, but 
Uh, again, I'll ask Nick if those tapes exist. I assume it might be his. Yeah, we need to talk to him. I do want to reiterate, Paul is a very normal guy. Yeah. <laughs> I want to reiterate. I've never had him tell me something weird before. No, no. Like, Until now. Very normal guy, I would you're, say. You're peeling the, uh, wow. the onions and they smell. All right, well, we're going to have to eat your guy on then, too. Yeah, I will reach out to him and let him know this is becoming a stuff of legend in Cincinnati. Yes, since you are here and we we had talked about it earlier in the podcast, would you mind giving us your thoughts on Bengal, Bengals ghosts ghosts of Bengals past uh, with the coaching situation? <laughs> like ghosts ghost of I mean, aren't we always haunted by Shula? <laughs> I, should, I, should, I think we're the ghost of Bengals present, which is Marvin yeah, Lewis. Well, Vance, what if it might become? What if he's become true. a ghost at this point? That's, you that's know, yeah, oh, that would explain him haunting the entire city. He's a hologram. And, and breakthrough, and, breakthrough. And the, fact, and the fact that his message clearly isn't getting through anymore. Yeah, it's right. like half the time, guys can't even find him. Now, if he was just one hand coming out of a closet in the locker room, then maybe they'd get them to do whatever he wanted. But he's not. That would, You know he, what? He's, too, that might even he's scare, too present. That might even scare Vontez Burfick. You put a little baby ghost in his locker and pull a hand out every now and then? I think Vontez like, thinks he sees ghosts every day. I, see, I think he does see them every <laughs> single day. Gun to your head. Is it Marvin Lewis? Head coach, Hugh Jackson, offensive coordinator, Vance Joseph, defensive coordinator next year. Oh, God, I hope not. Oh, my I would the gun to head, no, I, I don't think so. But, um, uh, you know, beware of national reports this time of year. I yes. think if there's anything we learned last year, beware <laughs> what you hear. They are not the bottom accurate. line is only one thing, is only one person actually knows, and he's no one's source. I can tell you that. <laughs> Mike Brown knows, and no one else does. That's correct, and he ain't talking to a soul. No, so any report you see from Adam Schefter, Josina Anderson, any national person, their line does not go to the only line that matters. And the only thing I wish he was getting advice from the ghost of Paul Brown. That yeah. would be even better. <laughs> That's what you really need. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Paul, we appreciate it. Thanks for I'm being on this podcast. Thrilled. I will have an update for you next week. Very good. <laughs> all right. Our, our thanks to Paul Daner Jr. We're going to find out the legitimacy of this story before all. He, he believes it. He Rick definitely believes it. it. I believe him. I don't know if I believe, I believe him too. what happened, but yeah. I believe he believes it. Yeah, and, and honestly, for those he really is. He's a he's a funny, good dude. He's just a normal he's a dude you'd go hang up hang out with watching a game, drinking a beer, cracking jokes, all those things. There's a lot of people I out know there that. with real ghost stories, Skinny, that are they're really into this. When I put out the bat signal a we're, few weeks we're, ago, we're gonna do we may have to do this every week. I think it's gonna happen that way. There's a lot of people hitting us up like, hey, you got, I got to tell you my We're not going to make fun. I'm not sure I'm going to believe you, but I'm not going to make fun of you. No, I think we were respectable to Paul while yeah. he was here. Little, I was genuinely interested. Little baby, though, man. That's frightening. That's 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 scary. That that one scares me, man. <laughs> I'm gonna, I guarantee you I'm having a nightmare about that tonight. I'm going to yeah. have a nightmare how about of a little baby flying that airplane into my house. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what it's going to be. That's going to be tonight's dream kamikaze for me. Kamikaze pilot. Yep, kamikaze babies flying airplanes into my house. I That's still, what I'm going to dream. You know what? I wish I would have brought this up while Paul was here. I think the real question that the cops would have asked and that, uh, that should have been asked is that, which one of you had a midget weed dealer? I'm no, sorry. What? We can't say the M word in yeah, 2018. A small person weed dealer. Johnny Manziel. <laughs> he was the weed dealer. Running down the hallway in a diaper at that age. All right. Thanks again to Paul Daner Jr. For Rick Broig, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us on this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the Popery edition presented by Joseph Infinity of Cincinnati.